Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. My name is Rob Crane and I am here with the one, the only Chris Valente. And Chris, we have a guest. We do. We, we, we've actually kept our word and said after speaking about social media, we actually would go get someone who knows what the hell they're talking about, who actually does this for a living and have a guest on the next week. We've delivered a tease, finally. 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 So please uh, welcome uh, Will Walsh, who's the director of digital and content for LAFC. Will, uh, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks for having me, guys. I uh, I don't know if I know what I'm doing, so I might not be the person you guys are looking for, but you know, I'll, uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, buddy. Fake it till you make it. That's the name of this business. If you've got That's a job, someone believes you know what you're doing, so you're good. I got faith in you that you know more than us two idiots. So uh, I can't even get my you, video to work right now. Us. So you're definitely ahead of the curve on that part. So we're we're you're way ahead of us. We're, we're, but we're doing great. We're doing great, I think. So we got to thank the uh, one, the only, I think, guest number two ever on Front Office Features, like two and a half years ago. Uh, Larry Friedman, the chief business officer of LAFC. Larry. Uh, connected me with uh, Will. So got to have a big shout out to uh, Larry Friedman. So a uh, favorite Larry Friedman story. Is there any, is there any, is there any ones that we can tell on air to a bunch of people who are looking to grow their career that can use that for connecting with Larry Friedman? I would say on air is tough, man. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> That's the truth. No, honestly, like Larry is, he was one of the first people I actually met at LAFC. Um, and I mean, not to get into a crazy story, but he was, you know, he's the type of guy who, you know, who he is as soon as you meet him, he's incredibly genuine. Um, he, he makes you feel like you actually matter as a person. And, you know, when I met him, he was, I think the CBO of LAFC and now he's co-president with John Thorrington. Um, co-president. I missed I was, the, uh, I missed the promotion. I got to get, yeah, no, uh... he's a, he's up there now. He's, he's a, he's a head honcho. Um, but no, he, I mean, he made it very clear in my interview process. He got to know me right away. He knew my name, um, knew exactly, you know, what I was interviewing for. And, you know, let's say two months went by before I actually got to LA and got the job and he picked up right where he left off. So, um, you know, you can't really say enough good things about Larry and he has the pulse on, on pretty much everything and everyone at, at the club. So um, I think you and I are both, both lucky to know Larry. Uh, Larry's a great guy. Uh, Chris, I got to introduce you to uh, Larry one time. Our paths will cross. He's a BU guy. Um, and uh, one of the things that I remember is when I was interviewing with Larry, I think I told the story in the podcast, but it must have been forever ago. I was anticipating, you know, kind of the first interview or so. And I was anticipating, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes. I think me, Larry, and a guy named Art Maton interviewing for the president's job when we were in Scranton, when I was in Scranton and uh, it lasted two hours. It was two hours on the phone. Right. And just like, it just natural conversation. And Larry's last question to me was who do you have in the bean pot? Cause obviously I talked to him. I was, you know, grew up in, outside of Boston. Who, who do you got in the bean pot? And uh, I said, BU. He goes, why do you have BU? I said, cause you went there. <laughs> and, uh, that's, he said, so that always stuck with him. And he's like, cause I, you know, was doing the proverb, doing the right amount of research and I think ass kissing at the same time, but, uh, <laughs> it, it paid off. It paid, it, it paid off. So, uh, so will, I guess just let's go, let's kind of start from the start, right? Like your Notre Dame guy, uh, film TV, uh, background, 
you go to MLS as a freelancer. Kind of take us from there. Take take us through your quote unquote origin story. Where where did you? How did you start? How did you get going? And uh, you know how did it all lead to LAFC and the one and the only Larry Friedman? <laughs> um, well, yeah, as you said, I went to Notre Dame. Go Irish! Uh, just missed out on the college football playoff this year. So, you excited about I'm the lucky. coach? Unlucky break. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's the man. I don't know if you saw that video when they first announced. Oh him. yeah, that was he, awesome. He sort of came out. Awesome. That was electric. Um, no, it's fun. But yeah, um, Notre Dame guy. Played soccer my whole life. Played through college, so I was a goalie at Notre Dame. Um, and honestly, I was in the business school for my first two years there, one and a half, two years. Um, and I'll never forget, like, I got my report card, or I don't even know if they call it a report card in college, <laughs> your grades, <laughs> whatever it yeah. is. Um, I got it after my first semester in sophomore year, and I, I was like, C's, maybe a couple B's thrown in there, but. Um, I took it home and I had a long, long conversation with my mom. And I was like, I really just, I hate business. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> want to do this. Like, I'm not, not an accounting guy, um, not a finance guy. Like, I mean, money is great. Don't get me wrong. But to find a passion in that, it just wasn't there for me. Um, and I grew up loving movies, loving TV. I was always kind of interested in, you know, the digital space. And um, honestly, I gravitated toward film really through college. Um, and when I had that conversation, she was just like, yeah, I know. Like, why are you in business? Um, and I was like, oh, you're not mad that I basically are skating by and, you know, not the same wasting your money going to, co- going <laughs> to college here, but like, you know, I'm clearly not performing, you know, as I did in high school and as you'd expect. Um, and she was like, no, I, I knew you wouldn't like it. You should probably do something else. <laughs> Oh, she predicted it. Yeah, she was like, yeah, I was kind of waiting for this conversation. Um, Mom mom knows best. Yeah, mom knows best. Honestly, it was, I was like, I was blown away when she said that. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not crazy. Must have felt like a weight lifted off your shoulder. Honestly, it was, it was one of the best conversations I've ever had with my mom. It was a, it was really eye opening. And, you know, I think within the hour I was looking at other majors and looking at film stuff at the school and. You know, but by the time I got back from Christmas break, I was in the, you know, basically the film program there, film, television, and theater, which has changed a lot since I left. It was, I don't want to say in its infancy then, but when I see the courses they have now, it's a lot of like digital media and social media advertising and paid social and all this stuff that was just not around when I was in college. Because I graduated in 2012, so this was 2010, 2009, um, and it's it's just crazy how the industry as a whole has progressed really in the social space since then. But anyway, I go in, I switch into film television, major in film specifically. Um, so I was kind of looking in LA. I, I shot out on the Jimmy Kimmel show for a week with um, actually another Notre Dame grad who played softball. So was lucky enough that there was a Notre Dame connect at the Jimmy Kimmel live show, which was awesome. Um, but anyway, long story short, I end up getting an internship in MLS as a video video intern there, video producer. Um, and my first day, I'm there at 9 a.m. We have to film this show called The Daily. And it's with Greg Lawless, who's Alexi Lawless's brother, who I'm sure you guys all know, crazy redhead in the soccer space. I, I remember um, Alexi Lawless. Yeah. He, so Greg's basically the editor-in-chief of MLSsoccer.com at the time. 
and there's another on-air host. And basically the premise of this show is called The Daily. You shoot it at 9 a.m., get it out by noon. It's got talking points from the day before, it's trades, whatever goes on in the league. And I didn't get this thing out until like 7 p.m. that night. I was just, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> it was really trial by fire when I got there because there's, I mean, you can obviously study film, you can study whatever, but until you're actually in a working environment, kind of knowing shortcuts, how to get things done quickly, what the regular workflow is with whoever you're working with, you don't really know what you're getting into um, unless you've done it before. So I was, I was dejected. <laughs> I came home, I was <laughs> After like, the first I day. I was like, I can't do this. I was like, what am I doing here? And uh, again, another conversation with my mom. I guess she's pretty influential, but she was like, just <laughs> stick with it. Like everyone sucks their first day at their new job. Like just take it one day at a time, just show them that you're trying and, um, you know, work your ass off to do better tomorrow. Cause that was basically my job. It was to film and edit this thing and get it out by noon every day. So like little by little, I start to get better at it. Um, you know, I get it down to like 3 PM. I get it down to <laughs> one o'clock and then eventually I hit that noon deadline, maybe a week or so in throw a party. I'm, I'm freaking pumped. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like I did it. Hell yeah. Like, noon buddy. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, uh, cool. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. Well, screw me. Right. Um, but no, I was there uh, again. It was it was just interesting how, you know, I think it's it's something we'll touch on later. But how much actually just working hard and and showing that you want to succeed will actually benefit you in the long run. Because um, so many people, you can come in as a super talented person, you can come in, you know, with an incredible resume. But unless you prove it sort of on a day to day basis and show people around you that you're trying and work hard, it's um, yeah it's kind of hard to validate until you actually put your money where your mouth is. We talk a lot so, about what's our two words that we talk, we talk a lot about these two words, effort and attitude, right? Like as long as you put in the effort and you come in with like a smile on your face, like yeah. you'll be fine most of the time, right? Like Absolutely. you're going to try hard and people gen like, like you, like you're should be in a pretty good spot. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I felt like I had a good relationship with the guys there. I obviously was, slacking in my eyes to them but like they could see i was like stressing out <laughs> yeah. this, this stupid show done that maybe 20 people watched like, <laughs> at the end of the day the show it didn't move the needle at all it was just it had tens of tens of views and you know <laughs> your uh, mom was watching my mom was definitely watching yes yeah, so there you go and, yeah. <laughs> most influential person in your life watched each day so it was really important Honestly, though, um, it was amazing just how far hard work goes, not just in social media, but just in any industry you're in. Um, but again, back to the story. I uh, was at MLS then for another three years, basically. I, I interned from September to the end of that year and then came on basically as a, you know, a full-time freelancer. So I wasn't quite full-time, but for all intents and purposes, um, was in the office every day working with the crew. Um and honestly, some of those guys were in my wedding. Like I made the best friends I've had since then. I'm still incredibly close with those guys today. Um, and basically in that time was really when social media video took off. And I, I gravitated toward that immediately. So I was, again, I was producing this daily show, but I would see like, okay, Facebook's pushing video. And I don't know if any of us still use Facebook on a day-to-day -day basis, but mm -hmm. you know, you start to see how Twitter, Facebook, and then Instagram comes on the scene and Snapchat comes on the scene with 
they're basically the big four at that time. Vine was again under Twitter, which I have a soft spot for Vine. R.I.P. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think TikTok is just TikTok is just Vine for the next generation. But um, it's again that was sort of where I gravitated toward. I would see cool edits that like someone on Bleacher Report did, and I would try and mimic that for MLS. So it's like I would basically find myself tailoring MLS highlights or content to something funny or topical that, you know, if, whether it was like a new Drake song or something that Kanye did, I would try and find a way to tie those highlights in or something funny from the game. If someone slips, I would do like some stupid edit with like a Mario Kart banana peel and you know, just try and do fun stuff that I saw that I gravitated toward on social. Um, and eventually like that, that kind of led to me, I guess more or less being sort of the liaison between the social team and the video team there. Um, and that's really where my time, it, it felt like I could have grown a lot more in that space, but that's when the LAFC job came about. And uh, obviously the LAFC one was a lot more social specific in the job description. It wasn't as much video heavy. I think the, the listing was social media manager. Um, so I, I applied and Luckily enough, I got the job. I have to give a huge shout out to Rachel Banana, who was working at MLS at the time, who's now with the NFL Network. She, I mean, I'm convinced that she's the one who actually got me the job because she sent in a good recommendation to basically my boss, boss's boss, who works right under Larry, Richard Roscoe. Yeah. Um, sent him a text. It was like, hire this guy. Oh, and there you go. He was like, okay. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't realize that until, I didn't realize that until <clears> after <throat> I had basically gotten the offer. Um, so again, a lot of it is I've worked with her for two or three years at MLS. We had done a couple shows together. Um, obviously this was before she became a big time, uh, big time host on previously Fox and now NFL. But, um, again, just showing sort of day-to-day work ethic just really did it for me when I was in that stage of my career. Um, whether it was producing shows with Rachel and then that leads to a recommendations to get the job that I really wanted. So um, came out to LA in May of 2017 was when I started. And that was obviously you guys know, we started in basically the 2018 season. So yeah, right. March so I was going to ask you right before game. it starts. Yeah. But at that time we had no players, no coach. We had like six or seven guys in our marketing team and a brand, which I mean, that, honestly, between them and, when we started actually playing soccer was probably the best nine or 10 months of my working career. Cause you, Why is that? Like you were in, sorry. Why is that? Oh, we were, I mean, again, you sort of had this really small cohesive group of people who really wanted this brand to succeed. Um, there was rich, there was Alex sale, Marcus McDougal, Ahmad Bolotov, who's our photographer, um, Colin Kelly, who was my boss at the time. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to forget people, but Pat Avilas was kind of our supporter relations guy. Um, and Andrew Quirk came on, who's another digital guy. But that early stage was just really cool to work with those guys because we had, it was literally like you had a ton of autonomy. If you thought of a cool idea, they were just like, yeah, let's do it. Um, they basically started by getting everyone who wanted to be part of the organization and, you know, further the brand message, further the goal of growing one of the coolest teams in MLS and they got them all on the same team and trusted that they had the right instincts to make this happen. Um, the, uh, the freeing feeling of 
hey, I have an idea. Let's roll with it. Has got to just be like the greatest thing ever for, you know, you're, you're, you're a very artistic person, right? So for an artist of not having constraints and just saying, yeah, let's go do something that just must feel freeing, I think is the best way to describe it. It was awesome. Um, you, yeah, again, you, having that trust from your boss, I think also is a huge point of validation. I actually got that a lot at my old job at MLS, my old boss, Mike Milberger. Yeah, he saw that I was just passionate about that space. And if I had an idea, he was just like, yeah, just go do it. Um, you know, we'll see how it turns out. And obviously it wasn't just like, yeah, do it, post it. It was, I trust your instincts to make this edit. Let's see how it turns out. And as someone who's kind of cutting their teeth in any industry, like there's no better motivation, I think, to get the most out of someone than having that sort of faith from your boss um, that your instincts are spot on. Um, but yeah, back, I mean, LAFC stuff, we, we had a small group of guys who were all sort of rowing in the same direction. Right. And, you know, our first major announcement was Bob Bradley. He was our first coach. He, we announced him, I think in June or July of, um, it was June of 2017, 2017. And, you know, this has sort of become infamous with LAFC. It's like basically called the cap tilt where, any new player or coach or anything, we sort of have them, you know, it starts with their head down and then they tilt up and give like a mean mug to the camera. Or they do something creative. There's, if you like, I can sh- send you guys a couple of videos later on, but there's, we have a compilation of basically all these guys doing a cap tilt, new players. Um, and it started completely by accident with Bob. We were sort of, again, I was on my cell phone. Um, <laughs> Bob was in the LAT track jacket, not really Bob's brand. Bob's a, he's more of a bomber jacket, um, kind of subtle dress guy, but you know, we had him in this flashy black and gold jacket with a black and gold flat brim hat. And we just did a couple takes of, you know, Bob, just, you know, cross your arms, look at the camera, you know, we'll see what we get. And of all the ones we got, it was this sort of crossed arm, slow motion, tilt up, look right into the camera. Um, and that just stuck. For whatever reason, fans gravitated toward it. It became sort of our calling card. Um, and every time we do a new signing, we put out this, like, basically a tease where we're, quote, mailing a an LAFC hat to a new player. And they, like, it's like the red alarm whenever we send out that, that yeah. whenever we send out that tweet, because people are like, oh, crap, who's the new signing? Who's the new, uh, who's the new, you started a trend. Yeah, and it's literally the same gif every time. It's either one <laughs> the for same like an thing. American player or an international one if some guy's coming from overseas. But um, it's broke, don't fix it's it. It's cool to see it. It's cool to see how that's evolved. That's cool. So um, <clears throat> if you could walk us through, like, we were this, uh, let's get it. Uh, let's talk to like the day to day about what you do, like each day, right? So today is Tuesday, January uh, 11th. Like what, what happened today? What happened yesterday? What are you planning on doing tomorrow? And how does that evolve throughout, throughout times? You know, so what's the proverbial day-to-day look like? Yeah. I mean, right now we're obviously today was the super draft. Um, Basically the college draft or, you know, incoming quote rookie players in MLS draft for the new league. We didn't have a pick in the first round, so didn't have to do a ton today. Um, But Right now we're in the off season. The season will start in late February. Preseason officially starts next week. I think the 17th or 18th is our first day back. So right now it's a ton of planning, um, basically looking at 
each month of the season, we sort of know the regular checkpoints for, you know, what's going to happen in the first half of the season, what's going to happen summer, what's going to happen toward the end with the playoff push. So we're looking month by month strategically with, uh, we have different theme nights in the stadium that we try and plan around. We have different, you know, theme months, whether it's Black History Month, Pride Month, um, Hispanic Heritage Month, basically every month there's sort of a different theme that we touch on. So we're looking out at the basically the cal- the calendar as a whole for 2022 and saying, all right, combined with our brand messaging pillars, like how do we fit those into the different themes for each month? How do we plan different player shoots at our media day, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, February, beginning of February is when we have our big media day with uh, basically the whole team goes through. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the media day where oh, yeah. different stations you got the slow motion video, you got the interview setups, you got the green screens, you got stadium stuff. Um, but right now we're in a huge planning phase, huge strategy phase. We did it basically this off season, um, myself and Michael Rosen, who runs our social and Ahmad Bolotok, who's a photographer and also is kind of in, involved in content strategy. We basically looked at our metrics for the past couple of years and said, all right, you know, how did we do year over year? What were some things that didn't do well? What were some things we want to do more of? Um, and one specific thing that we saw was how well we did during our CONCACAF Champions League runs. So basically, quick one-on-one on CONCACAF Champions League. It's basically an intercontinental tournament for the best club teams, basically in North and Central America. So we were in it in, the, in 2020. We played some of the biggest clubs in Mexico, um, Club America, Cruz Azul, and we got all the way to the final, basically, with a chance to go to the Club World Cup to play literally the winner of the European Champions League. We could have played against Bayern Munich. We could have played against the Conmebol champion, the African Cup of Nations champion. Um, it would have been awesome. It was in Qatar. Long story short, we lost in the finals. Yeah. So we didn't get there. But the blips, basically, whenever we played the international competition were astounding to us so we thought all right well how do we use that to strategize content for this year how can we capitalize more on that international audience um and a huge thing that we found was i mean you and i might not use facebook at home but facebook is still the number one platform internationally um like mexico south and central america and africa especially we have a ton of players from those regions and you see this massive spike in follower growth in engagement, in basically every social metric possible around those international tournaments. Um, so that's that was a huge, huge kind of eye opener for us. Was again, we go back to this planning phase that we're in now, and it's like, uh, how can we do paid social around sort of events in the international window? How can we target potential markets in those um, countries with players from those countries? Um, but again, my role, kind of day to day, is, I mean, to put it in one word, it's sort of managing and um i guess overseeing sort of the content team and operations of social media and digital space so every week we have a content meeting with uh basically everyone on our content team we got six myself included as a videographer a couple photographers um, a couple digital guys social guy graphics guys who are also incredibly talented i feel like i got to shout them out jeff Parrish and alex cervantes who are killing it. If you guys go back and look at our match day posters from last year, they did basically movie covers or movie posters. 
and revamp them as LAFC game day posters. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you knew this going into this podcast or not. I haven't seen a movie in 10 years. It blows my mind. That's cool. No, it's not cool. Don't tell them it's cool, Will. Do not tell. Do not. Do not normalize this behavior in the slightest because it's not an normal. Movie? Like an actual movie. Like I have not like seen a movie. But he's been in a movie. Don't like. So he's been in a movie. He's. I've been in a movie. He was at the uh, final yeah. season. He was at the wrap party for The Office in Scranton because yeah. they hosted it at yeah, his ballpark. But yeah, the guy like, doesn't watch shows or TV. He doesn't watch anything. It's, it's it's absurd. Do not normalize this behavior, Will. As someone who's a, as a TV major that you were, the film major, do not normalize this behavior because it's not normal. Like, just, you don't have the time. You don't Bullshit. Like he has the time. He chooses <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I just don't. Movies aren't 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 my thing. I don't love drama. I don't think that it is. So you were also a guest like, on a movie podcast. I was a guest on a movie podcast <laughs> because I was in a movie, uh, documentary, and uh, you want to talk about it, right? So we talked about it. Uh, but yeah, like movies and uh, stuff, just not just not my thing. I I wanted to clear the air because if we made this whole podcast with someone who studied film and TV at Notre Dame, right? Like. And I didn't say like, hey man, I haven't like, I haven't been, I haven't seen like a movie in like forever. I saw Moana like with my daughter. Um, I don't know if great. that counts. Trolls World Tour, um, saw that one, um, but I don't think those count as much. It's, are you a reader? No, I, I'm reader? really not educated very well. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just kind of like screw around a lot, uh, and, you know. I don't really know what I do. People ask that all the time. I don't really have a good answer. Uh, but this isn't about me. This is about you. And I wanted to just, I wanted to clear the air because I could not let that be just floating in there. I feel like it was the elephant in the room, at least between my ears. All right, well, I mean, I think that's kind of the end of the interview then. If it's not- See, <laughs> I, I've almost quit the podcast multiple times. I've literally almost quit the podcast multiple times because I go to do a movie quote, and he's like, he's not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. This is going to this is gonna fall <laughs> flat on deaf ears. Dude, I, I literally, for my entire high school and college life, I lived just quoting movies as regular conversation. Yeah, because you're a normal like, human being. Over, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> just... over, Zoolander, Home Alone, Home Alone 2 were just my go-tos. I would literally just, in my group of friends, we always joked like, if someone overheard a conversation we were having, they would have no idea what the hell was wrong with us. That's okay. Yeah, that's normal. That's a normal thing. Yeah. The, so I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. When you said Larry got promoted to co-president, the first thing that popped in my head was the office when Jim and Michael became co-managers. Everyone was like, well, everyone knows a great, every captain has two, has two, every great ship has two captains and well-oiled machines. So there's co-president. I'm like, wait, how does that work? But it didn't work in the so office either. I have, a con- I have a confession also in the spirit of you know, openness and honesty. Oh, we're a transparent podcast. I've never seen the office. Jesus! Oh! Never watched Oh, Welcome to the club, buddy. Welcome so to any, the club. Any office reference that you see on our social media is just not me. What? See? Or at least That's a peek he behind the curtain, Mr. Lundy. He wasn't at the rap party for the show with Michael, like, with, with Michael Scott, John Krasinski, like Jennifer, you were at that and you didn't even think to go, hey, maybe I'll go watch an episode. That's what blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, like, drank beers and partied with them after, too. 
that's here nor there. I'm before we derail this completely, Will. So all right, let's get back on track. Will, back I, on track. I want to I want to talk about social media, the misconceptions about our industry. When you started, like you were talking about, like 2009, social media was barely like even really a thing, right? So to your point, a manager or a president of a team might have been like, you know what, we need to be on this Facebook thing, but I really don't know what we're doing. Just go do it. That is that world is completely a change, but. What is the biggest misconception that you think that people from the outside have about what social media actually is when it comes to running it for a franchise such as LAFC? Whew. I don't want to offend anyone. No, offend away. No, that's what we do here. We offend away. Just, to, but like, like literally, people probably like, oh, that must be the coolest job in the world. But we know there's some pitfalls and some stuff that goes along with it that people probably don't know about. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, even. I'm admittedly even too old for sort of this TikTok generation that's come up with anything that's on TikTok, to be honest. Like, I have no problem admitting that and letting people who are more in tune with the space take the lead. And I think that's sort of the general gist of it is like people don't see how one influential or how much money can be made on it or how important it could be to a brand to have stuff on certain platforms you know a lot of times when i'm dealing with i don't want to say what i'm dealing with but a lot of things i might hear is sort of yeah just put it on social and it's like well where on social like what are you like is there something like it's come so far where not the same post can be put on every single platform um like you're never going to really post the same video that you put on twitter on Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube is, you know, if there's ever some obligation or something from an outside party, it's always okay. Yeah, let's just put it on social and call it a day. Um, and so I love. So this is outside, this is perfect. This is exactly what I was looking for because I think the the issue to your point, you're a little bit younger than us. You're like TikTok. I don't know how the hell to use it. You talk about team presidents and and so forth and CEOs of of companies. There's like, oh, social, just put it on social, not understanding that what you do on TikTok is gonna be very different than you do on Instagram. What you can do on Twitter, the word social can't just be encompassing of everything anymore. You have to be almost a quote unquote expert with those platforms. How do you manage that like internally to make sure the right people are in the right seat, posting in the right places? Because to your point that's not going to translate on Twitter or the same thing you put on TikTok. You just can't throw it on social and hope for the best. Right. Um, and honestly, we have, I mean, there's really, for the, for the most part, we have one guy who's our social guy and I love him to death. He is, <laughs> the amount of work he does and how often he has to be on call is just mind blowing. His name's Michael Rosen. Rich, if you're listening, give this guy a raise. <laughs> um, case, he, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it is it is incredible how much you're expected to do on social, and I think there's just a misconception when it's like just put it on social. It's not just pushing it a button, right? You have literally five or six different platforms with five or six different pieces of content that you have to put out. You have to schedule. You have to time it for any sort of news release. It's it's not just okay. Here's the social button. Push it, and it's done. It's you have different copy on different platforms. You have potentially different links you have different paid stuff on pl on different platforms um and our social guy michael is he's honestly incredible with all the platforms um you know he and i are, are very close when it comes to sort of strategizing stuff but he gets the tone he gets basically the brand you know 
um, I would say the, the brand character and, and persona on those different platforms that we have to do. And, and each one's a little different. Like Instagram, we're, we're a little more buttoned up. Um, it's a little bit more stylized and I would say thought out than a Twitter or TikTok where you can literally follow someone with a cell phone and that stuff will do better than, you know, a highly produced commercial style video. Um, and I think that's a huge misconception also with a lot of branded stuff and a lot of people who might not be involved in the day-to-day -day is they see a video that, you know, it's got great camera work, the cinematography is excellent, but coming from a film background, you can recognize, okay, this was clearly done at a high level with legit cameras with um, you know, a couple of days of shooting, but that piece might just fall flat on its face. And all that work is for nothing because the audience wasn't thought of when making that thing. It, it's something that should be like a television commercial. And as a television commercial, it would be excellent. Like you could see it on a broadcast and you literally are forced to watch it in a 16 by nine or widescreen with sound. You're kind of not scrolling through something. So you have to watch it if you're watching TV, unless you DVR and you're fast forwarding. But um, the problem with putting that style thing on a Instagram or Twitter or TikTok is just, it doesn't fit the platform. And that's the biggest thing when it comes to, um, I guess, misconceptions and also having someone in place who knows what does well. And honestly, if anyone's involved in social media regularly and they like producing good stuff, they should have, I don't want to say a resume or a reel of stuff, but, you know, it, it's not difficult to prove you are good at social media. If you can show accounts you manage, you can show history of growing accounts, growing following. Um, having good engagement over time because a lot of times the simplest or the best answer is the simplest solution to a post on social. Um, a video I capture sometimes of players on my cell phone after a game dancing does way better than a full on recap where it's all of our high end cameras splicing together the slow motion shot the goals and literally one guy looking at the camera going, I love you guys. Um, and that stuff will do way better just because it's built more for the platform and people come to expect that type, that type of content. So one of the things that you said, you talked about building a brand tone, you know, your the brand character, the brand voice. Like, so you've been there since the get-go. How, I guess in a couple of uh, questions, same vein, like how did you come up with that brand character, brand voice? And then how has that evolved from when you're just starting in 2017 to where you are now in the 2022? Uh, I just want to preface that I didn't come up with it. That was something that was in place before I got there. Um, the brand was really set in stone by, you know, when they did the brand launch or the crest launch, I think it was in January of, well, I'm going to get my dates wrong, 2016, I want to say, December 2015, somewhere around there. They unveiled like the LAFC logo. And that was when I think I first was like, damn, this place is going to be sweet. Um, I was working at MLS at the time and, you know, you see this really cool logo. You see this, they have a really cool launch video, which a lot of teams have, I don't want to say copied, but have mirrored their launches after. So a couple of expansion teams have come in since then. And um, I don't want, uh, again, I'm not at all suggesting that they kind of follow the format, but there's a lot of similarities that can be drawn with how the best LAFC ideas are all stolen. <laughs> Except ours. <laughs> um, and I'm sure our guys saw that somewhere and you know it was a bit of chopping and screwing with different pieces they saw which might work um, 
but again, it was a really clean design a message that was very inclusive, very representative of kind of the true Los Angeles. It wasn't a lot of palm trees and beaches. It was more inner city. You'd see downtown, you'd see sort of the streets in Watts, you'd see the area where a stadium would be. Um, and that was sort of the route we took in growing our brand. Our, our motto back then was street by street, block by block, one by one. And it honestly is still a huge messaging point for us is that we grow person to person. At that time, we had, again, not a ton of fans. I think we had an email list of maybe a couple hundred fans from Chivas at the time, um, which was the previous LA franchise that had folded, um, I believe, at the end of the 2014 season. And MLS was like, here, you guys got some emails of some season ticket holders. Good luck. Um, they were like, all right. <laughs> um, but honestly, a lot of a lot of that early day growth was people like Rich and Marcus and Pat who were kind of spearheading this new, you know, new brand movement was meeting with those guys over a beer saying, all right, what do you guys want in a team? What, what do you guys gravitate toward that? Clearly you guys aren't galaxy fans. So galaxy is the other team in LA, the LA galaxy That's where Beckham was. That's where Zlatan was. Um, and there was always this core group of people that I wouldn't say core group, but there was a ton of people who really, for whatever reason, they didn't feel attached to the galaxy, whether it was their stadium location, whether it was just kind of the brand, whether it was just sheer location where they were, um, they never felt a real connection to the galaxy. And you know, I don't, I'm not here to crap on the galaxy in terms of their marketing because I'm friends with a lot of those guys. And um, you know, I think a rising tide will lift everyone. So if they do well, we're going to do well. I'd rather have them do well at the same time that we're doing well because it is better exposure for the rivalry as a whole but um you know it was a lot of learning what they wanted in in a team and a club and that's a lot of where we built the brand off of um it was a team that was inclusive to everyone in la it felt like it was representative of the city um and it really made those people feel like they had an ownership stake in the club while obviously they they don't have an ownership stake they felt like they could shift the direction that the club grew. Um, and they were instrumental in basically everything we did from a very early stage. Um, we involved them in the stadium design, in honestly, in player stuff and player signings. They were the first people to know when we signed Bob. They were the first to know when we signed Carlos. We would send an email out to our members beforehand, before anything was public, like, hey, you guys want to give you the heads up since you were here from the beginning. This is our first coach. Um, and it wasn't like a full day. It was maybe 30 or 40 minutes before. But it was just a nod from our end to say, like, look, we value your commitment to the club. We value everything you guys bring. We're going to do our best to reflect that in things we do for you guys. Um, and that, again, that's that's still what our messaging is. Our messaging is fan first. It's um, heart, of, heart of L.A. It's street by street. And anything you see on our on our channels will reflect that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you hit it on a little bit uh, talking about um, uh, your social th the social team and how that they they don't have a lot of time off and you know managing expectations is is challenging. You know, over your career, how have you seen the best people uh, be able to manage that load? What do you think are some of the pitfalls, and what do you think? Uh, can be done to make sure that there's not this burnout. Cause like Chris and I said on the podcast a week or so ago, we're just seeing 
social media people, you know, leaving the industry because there's no off day, right? Like social is always on and uh, it never shuts off. So like, especially with your suggestion, what, like it's just been changed when you have to cover a game 24 seven and be updating the fans as you go. Like there's no real downtime. And then like you're recapping the game until late in the night and you're doing the next, like how, and actually I want to ask you too about that process. Like how do you guys map that out from a content creation workflow that you're like, okay, this game's tonight. This is what we're going to do. Is it completely storyboarded? And then you just kind of go from there and have to adjust based on something crazy happens. Or like, what does that process look like? I'll answer that one first because it's fresh in my mind and I already forgot what Rob asked. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that important anyway. No, actually, to be fair, Rob, now I thought of it, but I think the number one thing that um, will help prevent burnout is having bosses who have done the work of their direct reports. Because a lot of times when social was just starting, you'd have kind of directors of social media or VPs of social that you know, the requirement was, oh, 10 plus years of social media experience, 10 plus years, whatever. And it's like social media has been around for five years. It's it's an impossible task. And it was, I mean, it was a lot of guys probably a little bit older than me who were sort of in, you know, whether it was a digital space around like 2010 was still sort of when YouTube videos were um, kind of the only real thing. You know, 2008, 2010 was sort of when you had sort of this generic you know, talking head style thing. And a lot of it was just pushed to YouTube. Um, But since socials come around, like I think the most important thing that I would either recommend for Hey bud. Sorry, my dog is. I see your dog. What's your dog's name? He's hitting the guitar with his, uh, with his tail. Oh, that's Sammy. Hey, Sammy. (laughs) Sammy can play the guitar. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But honestly, having someone who has done the work of managing a social media schedule, managing different platforms, because that's really the only type of person who's going to really understand what goes into that. Um, Like for a while, I was managing our social platforms. I managed everything before Michael Rosen came in and did it. Um, So I I like to think he knows that I can empathize with a lot of his workload. So, you know, it's just understanding the workload when when it comes to asking for, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Can can we fix this? Because there's definitely times when, you know, you have to give them some space um, on a busy night, on a busy day, whatever it is, on a game day. Um, but again, having people above you who've done the work, I think, regardless of the industry, but especially social, um, is huge. Um, and then, Chris, you asked about... Just like the process, oh, the storyboarding. Like, yeah, like the, how do you put the content workflow into yeah. place? Yeah, um, a lot of it is, you know, I think a lot of us have all been here for several years. So we, we in general know sort of the, quote, the workflow after a game. Um, a lot of the stuff that we do after a game is tied to a sponsor. So there's different stat recaps, there's photo recaps, there's stuff that you could always slot in on game night, um, plus sort of any bonus stuff that you happen to get if there's a really good result. We'll try and get some sound or a video to post right after the game. Um, you know, again, depending on the outcome, there's either a lot less you're going to post or a lot more. Um, it's kind of nice. I don't want to say it's nice when we lose, but when there's a tough result, 
it's generally a bit quieter on social um, <laughs> because <laughs> fan feedback is never good after a loss unless it's you know a really heartbreaking referee screwed you type of loss um but in general losses are a lot easier on the social media team i'm sure i'm not the only social guy who would say that <laughs> that's funny so, they say that though as much as as much as losing sucks um for the organization it is a nice reprieve <laughs> from work on, <laughs> on say a saturday night at 1 a.m um when you have to be posting stuff um but again, we'll, a lot of that stuff will be mapped out now um, as we look toward, you know, our schedule's out. So we know, I think we have seven or eight games in August, it's like going to be a freaking brutal month. So we know that month is going to suck. Um, we know we're going to try and get as much out ahead of time ahead of those games. So we know, it's, I mean, seven games in 31 days, the game every four something days, four or five days. So we're already looking at it saying, okay, we know we're going to have preview stuff this day, match day stuff, match day minus one, preview sound. We're going to have the game day with all the normal stuff. The day after, pending the results, going to be more photo recap, quick stuff. The day after that will be any sort of stylized, um, quote, longer form video with, you know, behind the scenes capture, more stuff that we capture on our cameras that's built more for YouTube. Um, but again, it's sort of a, it's kind of a revolving door of the, same sort of cadence of stuff, right? We're going to have 34 games over the course of nine, 10 months. Um, and it's just getting ahead of that as much as possible to, again, manage expectations from, you know, some people might ask for last minute posts for partners. Some people might ask for ticket pushes, um, but getting as much out that we can control is paramount for kind of managing our own workload and um, getting ahead of it. So you just brought something up, right? Like, <clears throat> how do you manage the internal ask too, right? We were kind of talking about this off before we hit record. You know, you just said, oh, can the ticket, we need to sell some more tickets for, you know, Wednesday's match. Uh, post it on social. Oh, but we need to go do this sponsorship deal. Can you post that on social? Oh, we need to do uh, this for a special event or merchandise or blah, blah, blah. Like the internal uh, management has got to be uh, potentially overwhelming, like, how do you manage all of that when it comes to, you know, we need to say that, you know, t-shirts are on sale. It's a lot. Um, I actually brought up a pretty good memory of Larry. Now that you say that <laughs> <laughs> he's probably going to be pissed. I bring this up, but no, uh, he's not. He'd be fine. I think it was 2019 or 2018, probably 2019. Um, this guy. And I love Larry. I've already sung his praises earlier i like where this is going already <laughs> every single social post that we put out had to have a ticket link on it really um, every single one and i mean it it was it got to the point where you know people were worried about their jobs if there wasn't a ticket link on the post um and i don't blame larry for that they have to sell a certain amount of tickets. There were a lot of single game tickets for whatever reason for some games. There were midweek games on like a Wednesday night at, at six o'clock or something where um, the show rate is going to be way less than a weekend game um, just because people are still working. It's harder to get to the stadium with the traffic and everything in LA. But um, it took a while, but finally we showed him some of the metrics of how many links, how many clicks those links got. And it was not many. It was maybe two or three right. at the most. 
and it's sort of this it's this thing where you know if you do it on every post it kind of just cannibalizes all your posts um they all feel like sort of this commercial um or advertisement for something where it doesn't feel like an organic post and there's a lot less engagement on the posts um people aren't clicking the links in general like we, we had to find targeted solutions basically to sell tickets whether that was paid social whether it was a lot of other means of you know email stuff which colin kelly does um who's my boss and yeah a lot of it shifted. We, once you saw those metrics it shifted a lot to okay let's actually think strategically about how to sell these things um in advance rather than shit the game coming up we need to sell six thousand tickets sell these tickets <laughs> yeah um, right which look <clears throat> that's sort of the job of our group right you're a marketing slash sales group trying to advertise as best as possible for making money for your brand that's you know it's funny you say that and will so many young folks have always say they want to work quote unquote in mark sports marketing right sports marketing sports marketing and it's been my belief forever that sports teams really didn't have marketing departments until social media right like, like there was no real traditional you don't go out and buy 30 second commercials, you're kind of beholden to where the team is either good or not, the players on the team, and then you just kind of catch on. And like, if there's a catchphrase of the team, that's what you rally around. Where like the social media department and the content department is actually the first truest form of marketing that a team or an organization has ever had in sports, aside from player interviews that happened way back in the day. And the importance of that department, I still think hasn't been the gravitas hasn't been acknowledged or accepted by a lot of organizations where they entrust these departments with sometimes green thumbs. And you might see something go up on a, a post. You're like, holy shit, how the hell did this make it through? Like, this is the voice of the franchise, right? You're speaking on behalf of the brand. You represent the brand. Like, what would you tell the young folks out there who are listening that that quote unquote, want to work in marketing? Like, do you feel like you are the truest form of sports marketing for a team or an organization there is? Yeah, honestly, when, when I first started here, we didn't really have any money to spend in the traditional marketing sense. Our marketing was our social and digital media. It was email campaigns and it was sort of paid social. And I guess you could look at paid social being, you know, quote, the traditional media buys, but I think our only media buy that we did, <laughs> I might be wrong here. I can check with our PR team, but we, for our home opener, we basically had a big front page spread in the LA times, which was, it was awesome. Credit to those guys. It was sweet. It broke down everything in the new stadium and everything. But to your point, like when I consume media in any sense, it's either TV, Netflix, something on the internet or social media. Um, and again, the web or the internet is kind of a, a misnomer because a lot of the stuff is either linked to from social. Like I'm not just scrolling on random websites. I know every day I'm, I'm scrolling through Instagram, I'm scrolling through Twitter. And if there's something cool, I want to read more. It's like a link in bio and I'll go up to click it and see what the rest of the story says. But, um, you know, I admittedly, I don't read the newspaper, um, billboards. Sure. I mean, you could look at that as a big sense of, of traditional marketing, especially in LA, but we don't really do that. I think we have one billboard and that's right by our stadium. Um, we have two sort of freeway towers, but to your point, like how our, I guess our key demographic, key demographic, um, because 
it's basically 18 to 45 in LA. Um, really any, it's not necessarily a socioeconomic, it's not financial demographic. It's, you know, when you look at who comes to our games, who consumes our stuff on social, who follows us on YouTube and social platforms, it's that, mostly that demographic. A couple kids that are younger, um, but again, that's sort of the target, right? And we reach a lot of those people on social. We reach a lot of them on email. Um, there's not a lot of traditional ad buys that we do. Like traditional marketing is is tough to sort of define in sports because so much of that sports team's audience is on social media. And to say that you're not a marketing team when you're clearly marketing the team, right? And I guess the, the verb use of marketing is is kind of a joke if you think that a social media team who is the brand, they put out stuff, highlights, they put out paid social to sell tickets, they sell out um, other events for the stadium, right? Bank of California is not just a soccer venue, it's a concert venue, it does a ton of events every year. That falls on us too. Um, and again, that falls on Michael Rosen, <laughs> who's the one managing those accounts. And again, people don't Michael see sounds that. like the busiest man of all time. Michael's the man. Um, he's incredibly <laughs> well, valuable. <laughs> you got to raise on this podcast. You literally got to raise. <laughs> yeah, who do we need to talk to? We need to talk to Rich. Let's get let's get we Rich on the raise phone. Get Michael, Michael a raise. <laughs> get Rich and Larry and tell him to give Rosen a raise. Let's um, go. No, seriously though, it, it a lot of that stuff you don't think about. Um, how much of that, you know, impacts your brand. Um, people who follow us on Instagram, you know, are we have an incredibly talented data basically data analysts team that they send out surveys pre and post match. Um, they have as much of a pulse as they can on our fan sort of experience at the game. Um, could be through our app. It could be through email while they'll send out sort of where do you first interact with LAFC? It's either Instagram, email, or other social. Like it, it's, it's sort of the number one place that potential fans are going to see your brand. Um, so yeah, I mean, long-winded way to say, I think social media for a sports team is sports marketing. <laughs> no, I, 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 well done. <laughs> I concur. You got your sound bite. I concur. No, I have, I have, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <clears throat> Will, I, I, cause this has been everywhere recently and I, I want to know how much you guys are thinking about it. I mean, you personally, the metaverse web three. Where are we going with that? What are teams going to be doing? Where is that going to go for sports? What are you? What are you visioning? Are you guys already thinking about what that's going to look like for LAFC in general? There are definitely a lot of different opinions on that, um, and I, you know, I admittedly will catch myself thinking like an old head and being like, "Who the hell is going to watch a soccer game in the Oculus when you would rather go to the game?" Um, but if anything, like if if any, if I can learn anything from, I guess previous people that I've worked with is to always think from the other point of view when it comes to either opinions on what will do well or the future of quote our social industry or just the digital industry with Web three. Um, I I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I know I've talked, I've spoken to a lot of people I used to work with about sort of a sports experience in that, you know, quote, 3D space in the metaverse. Um, 
I admittedly would rather go to a game in person. I'd rather consume all that stuff in person. I feel like we as people are more social creatures interacting face to face. If anything from if I've learned anything from COVID the past two years is that seeing people face to face is way better than talking over Zoom. Not that I'm not having a great conversation, but I'm sure if we were having this conversation over beers, I would like it even more. Oh yeah. Um, beer beer, uh, beer yeah. Larry Friedman into this. We uh, it would be the greatest day of all time. Not that this is a bad day. This is maybe just a yeah. tier under beers with Larry Friedman. <laughs> I'll make my way out to the Super Bowl and we can go have a beer and uh, or or two or with some whiskey. That's what um, we'll do. I'm down. I mean, I'm not too far from uh, not too far from SoFi, so that'd be fun. But I mean, to, yeah, to answer your question, I don't know. I would. I, I think there's going to be a lot of evolution in that space. There's clearly a ton of opportunity. Um, when you talk about sort of building out a stadium in that space, or you talk about the sports experience you think about all the potential sponsors that go along with that. Our whole entire stadium and our game day operation, there's sponsors everywhere. And that's just more money. That's more dollars for the company. That's more dollars for the brand. It's more exposure for the brand. And if teams can do it right, I mean, it's hard to say that, it's hard to argue there's not a huge opportunity there. Um, Do I know exactly how that will pan out? No. Um, But, you know, the growth in that space already is kind of astronomical. I mean, it, it seems like it's on an exponential train right now um, with how much development there's been basically in the past year or two in the metaverse. And I, I anticipate there will be a lot more coming from sports teams. I feel like NBA teams will probably be the first to. As always. Course, we talk about that all the time. They, they are the cutting edge of, of all this. I have one last question for you is you kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, we talk about resources for, uh, for, for you know, now we've talked sports marketing departments, specifically social, right? Like, I always feel like the social team is always looking for more resources. There's not enough time in the day, right? We, how many times do we just talk about Michael doing everybody, like doing everything, right? Like, what is we, your we opinion get Michael on, on this? What do you, <laughs> I got to call him. We got to get Michael on here, right? Like, call him up. He doesn't have um, time to do this, Rob. You have to leave Michael alone. He's, 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 probably, he's posting. He's probably editing video. Don't right let now. Michael come on the podcast. He's got to do his job and post on it for LA. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, get your ass back to work. Um, but uh, uh, what do you think in regards to uh, building a social team? What pieces do you think are important? What pieces do you think that typical teams are uh, are lacking and how do you think that should go moving forward? I, yeah, I think the way we sort of did it when we first started was we, we had one guy who was kind of dedicated to our Instagram. Um, and I was more sort of Facebook and Twitter. And then there was a little bit of collaboration on the YouTube side, but admittedly our YouTube, um, back in that stage, it wasn't a huge priority, which I think there's still a huge upside for YouTube, but Staffing-wise, um, I think having, obviously, as many people who can actually do the physical work as possible is huge. Um, and then managing their schedules in a way that gives adequate break, right? So if you know that you either want to give, say you have two or three, say you have two people, you give one person Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you give the other one um, Instagram, TikTok, and if, if people are if snapchat's a priority you give them snapchat also um they can either balance the workload like that or you stagger it right you have one guy who's on one day does all of them one guy who's on another day or 
you know, you can split a game day. Um, it's just almost impossible to have one person doing everything. Um, it, it's, you can pay them a lot, but at the end of the day, it's just going to burn them out in no time. And you can look, I've seen it. You can cycle through young 20 something hungry kids who want to get into the sports industry and cut their teeth. There's always going to be those people. Um, there's always going to be a kid who wants to do that sort of thing. But is that the best way to grow someone in a career? I don't think so. Um, I'd rather have that person feel like, okay, I'm a coordinator now. I'm posting day-to-day on social, but when can I get involved in the strategy side of things? When can I get involved in sort of mapping out the long-term content? Um, and if you can provide a little bit of career growth with that, with some of our, you know, hypothetically, you have two coordinators, they're there for two years, then they get promoted to either senior coordinator or manager, and, you know, you bring someone in under them. Obviously, it's not going to be like that every year because you can't just keep bringing in new people and promoting everyone every year, but that would be an ideal situation. Um, and it's tough as a sports team. Like, it's just tough to always feel like you're providing that. Um, I see it with my video team. I see it with the social team. It's like, you know, as a quote, I think I'm a normal person, but you want to feel like you're providing a good work environment for these people who work under you because you're asking them to do these things every day. A lot of times there are last minute requests that come in, whether it's like a video from training um stuff that falls through inevitably because that's just what happens stuff is always going to get dumped on you last minute and having people who can again who've done the work who know how to sort of approach someone when that sort of thing happens um is always better than someone who didn't do it because you're always going to find if your boss did your work and you're either with the company or you saw them do that work you're going to just have more faith in them to or not more faith you're going to have kind of more trust in them that they know what they're doing um, yeah. and they know how to interact with you. So <clears throat> it matters. Uh, it okay. matters. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say having somewhat of a structure to provide, you know, at least a, a framework for upward mobility in a career trajectory in social is hard, but it's something I feel like a lot of clubs should try to try to do. I think people in general, this is just, crave structure, right? People want to kind of know, what do I need to do? Where am I going next on a day-to-day basis, but also on a more long-term basis too, on a career basis. And I think if uh, a good manager, a good leader provides said structure, when they're in kind of ambiguity, I don't think that that's the the way to go. The structure is the, the best point, but. Uh, totally. I, uh, I t- I, real quick, I know we're yeah, no, no, no you're good. You're good. This is a podcast. We can point, talk for 22 hours. Yeah, 22. I mean, to that point, like something that I admittedly learned over the past, let's say, two years was, you know, when I first sort of started, quote, managing people with actual direct reports, I was more in the path of, oh, just let's, you know, give them freedom to sort of, if they have an idea, let's do it. Um, but to your point, like I found the right amount of structure goes a lot further than like, go do what you want. It's like, okay, we need to do a player video. We're announcing a player on Tuesday. We need the video done Monday. You can film it or edit it however you want, but it's due Monday. This is your job for the week. Do it. And that still provides, you know, the creative flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to edit this thing 
how I see it. But it's like, okay, I know I got to do this. I got a checklist. I can do it then. And then I'll be done with my work. And yeah, the right balance, I think, is key. It's a combination of just kind of like, you know, specific direction and go do that specific direction however you want. In, For sure. Excuse me. In my opinion, is um, is one of the best ways to manage and lead people. For sure. All right. One uh, last, last thing. It's very important. When you go to work <laughs> tomorrow and you see Larry in the office. Uh, or remotely, or however that you're doing. <laughs> Ask him one question. I says, I want to know about the Music Police Department's new squad car. Okay. <laughs> and I want I want him to uh, to tell you uh, the story how I got shook <laughs> down about a music uh, on about a squad car. Okay. <laughs> I will. Uh, I feel like I should record that and then. Uh... <laughs> no, you won't be disappointed in the answer, by the way. You will not be disappointed in the answer that you're going to get from Larry. All right, maybe maybe I shouldn't record then. I'll just keep that one. Up. A, Rob, a, we didn't even we we didn't even touch on the the because as we have a social media media person here right now, we didn't even talk about your grapes. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> um, so so Rob sell, sold his to, presenting sponsorship. Go ahead, Rob. I'm a person by nature, right? But I'm the, I was the president of the Yankees AAA team in Scranton. And I thought I was going to be the smartest human being in the face of the earth in 2013 that I sold a presenting partnership to our social media feed. I think it was Facebook and Twitter at the time, right? And, uh, and I, it was to this grocery store. And I said, yeah, come on. Like, let's, let's put the daily spectacular, let's put the daily, uh, you know, specials on, on our website. We'll help you promote everything. This is going to be great. Like I'm the smartest man ever. And, uh, you know, we were posting that grapes are 89 cents a pound, you know, bananas, uh, milks two for one or whatever. And, uh, it's great content. Well, that's good. It's really good content. Great content for a sports team. And uh, when I think and I was the smartest man alive, I was actually the dumbest. And uh, you walk uh, into the meeting and you're like, chest held high. Yeah, chest held high. Look, we are about to change the world. Uh, we did it, baby. We climbed, that <laughs> we climbed that social media mountain, man. And uh, yeah, we totally screwed everything up. <laughs> new chickens on sale for four ninety nine a pound. Come on down and get. Make sure there's. Oh, was there a ticket link in every one of those posts too? Did you have a ticket link to make sure you sold grapes I'm and tickets? Sure, I'm sure that I uh, I did that because I think one of the things that's a challenge, right? And I'm a Chris and I both know nothing about social. We are our. Uh, the front office feature social could use uh, some help. Uh, but in general, I think that sometimes social gets looked at as like a check mark, right? Like think about it in a contract that, you know, all right, signage. I'm a guy. I can see the sign out there. Oh, they have a program ad. Boom. Radio spot. Boom. Right. Like they need to be integrated in social media. Then you just say post it on social will. And it's like, I got to check the box, not thinking through like, well, how am I going to do this, right? Like, I know how to make a sign, right? I know how to record a radio spot. I know how to record TV. Uh, so just post it on social, well, damn it, or get Mike to do it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, look, that's the reality of, of sports, right? There's always a partnership marketing team. There's a sponsorship team that their job is to sell that stuff. Um, they sell eyeballs on things. They sell stadium assets. They sell social. Uh, <laughs> But again, we, I mean, to our team's credit, especially the partnership team's credit, they've 
actually involved a lot of us in those early discussions. Um, so say X partner has a certain amount of content pieces or it's a certain amount of social posts a year. We keep the contracts purposely vague. Um, so then when it comes time to post or when it comes time to actually strategize, okay, what is, um, can I say a partner, X partner, what do they get for, you know, their posts? Then there's a lot of open discussion with the social team, with sort of the creative guys. And it's like, okay, these guys will recommend Michael Rosen again. Um, it'll be, okay, how about we do this to sort of, you know, it could be this month for Hispanic Heritage Month, for example, and we have a, a grocer that might be in, you know, their objective is to connect more with the Hispanic population in LA, for example. Um, that's where Rosen comes in and thinks, okay, well, this will actually do really well if, you know, he'll kind of bullet point out, here's what we should do. And then our partnership team will go back to their partners and say, this is recommended by our social guy. <clears throat> um, and once they have that sort of validation, like, the teams are generally, yeah, let's go for it. Um, just, you know, map it out. Can we see the post ahead of time? But if we come back to them with sort of the quote expert recommendation from Michael or myself or anyone who's on our social, that shapes how that piece turns out a lot more. Um, and in general, like, I think that needs to happen across the industry, right? Those people who are posting and putting stuff out on the platforms that they run, they have a job to hit certain metrics and they're not going to want a piece of content that falls flat like there should be a lot more collaboration again it's workload management when do you have time to have those meetings um but in an ideal world those meetings are had before those contracts are quote agreed to um when it comes time to making those posts and getting the partner sign off so selling the naming rights of your social is the greatest idea ever we should you know, breaks for eighty nine cents back then. <laughs> <laughs> prior to inflation, it's pre inflation. Prior to That's prior true, to inflation, yeah. and also I think when I am going to listen to this podcast back, that uh, I'm going to make a drinking game. That when we uh, uh, said Michael Rosen or Mike or Michael or something like that, um, that we all have to either take a shot or a sip of our of our beer. I think we would have. Uh, a heck of a game. It's like, do you ever play that uh, uh, drinking game Roxanne uh, from the song from the police? You have Roxanne, yeah. I got red light. Roxanne, I mean, Thunderstruck. Yeah. Very, I'll, I'll... Uh, I think, I mean, the amount of times we said, Michael, um, <laughs> might be, a beer might be safer. I'm not sure if we'd survive a shot. I don't think we'd survive shots. I think you're right. Uh, might be in a right. coma for the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Will, uh, uh, a genuine thank you for, for coming on. I'm so happy uh, that Larry Friedman connected us. Uh, congratulations on everything that you're doing with LAFC. Uh, good luck as you guys start your, your season here. Um, and uh, just a, a genuine thank you uh, from me and from Chris. Uh, and really, really do appreciate uh, you jumping on the pod with us tonight. And uh, uh, best of luck, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, uh, Will. Chris, it was great hanging. Great hanging. Maybe we could actually grab a beer in person. Absolutely. Hey, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, shoot you, I'll, I'll shoot you a text when uh, I anticipate coming to L.A. in uh, the end of January. So I'll shoot you a text when we can go have a beer. Awesome. That'd be great. All right. I'm buying. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Fine. You can buy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you. Thanks, guys.